0: You ready for this chapter? (laughs) Maybe the thanks be to God today is a little bit of a question mark. What are we reading? You know, we're in the middle of, if you're new here, we are in the middle of a year-long series where we are preaching through the whole story of Scripture. Um, We're calling this the full story. And so oftentimes, we're going to find ourselves believing that we are a church that believes in scripture alone, we're gonna face challenging texts like today. Texts where there's a whole bunch of questions. What is going on? Why is this story important? And man, humanity is messed up. My goodness, where do we start? A story of Judah who sleeps with his daughter-in-law and is deceived into sleeping with her because he thinks she's a prostitute. Where do we start? And where's the good news here? Trust me, there is some incredibly good news and some powerful lessons for us. This is heavy. This is hard. We got to struggle with this text today. So, with that said, would you pray with me and let's invite the Spirit of God to come and teach us, Heavenly Father? Thank you. Thank you for the reminder this morning the words written on this pulpit, that we are a people that believe in Scripture alone. Our faith is by Scripture alone, through faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone, your glory alone. Lord, there's a lot in this passage today. I pray, God, that you would speak into it, Lord, that you would help us to understand what is going on, and also, Lord, that we would be able to, by your Spirit illuminating these words, that you would reveal to us how this speaks into our life here in 2021. Or I pray with Doug, we would be a people of justice, we would be a people of redemption, we would be a people that look to you. I just ask, Holy Spirit, that you would speak. Give this time to you, and we love you, and we thank you, and we praise you. In your name we pray, in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. So, this passage in Genesis 38, if you have been following along in the reading plan, it's a bit of an interruption. We're in this wonderful story, many people's favorite story in the Bible, the story of Joseph. And then, all of a sudden, in chapter 38, we have an interruption, and in enters the story of Judah, Joseph's older brother, and his interactions with Tamar, his daughter in law. And we're going to land today on a promise that is made to Judah a wonderful, glorious promise that it seems, as first blush, a promise that he does not deserve. We're in the second part of the story, looking at the promise. A promise that God has given to his people, a promise that we don't deserve, a promise that we don't earn, but a promise, as we talked about last week, that we receive and that we believe. And today we're going to be looking at this promise as it relates to the Lion of Judah. The Lion of Judah. And as we look at this promise, it actually is going to come out in this chapter. So stay with me. As we look at this promise, the first thing I want us to get at as we delve into this story is that this promise, there's more to this story than meets the eye. It's like watching a great Sherlock Holmes story, a detective coming in, and as you read this, at first blush, it just seems like a whole bunch of scandal and deceit, especially as we read it in our English language but as we read this, there's some important insights that I'd like to pull out. First, in this, this promise, it's, it's about more than deceit. It's about justice. It's about justice. In particular, justice for Tamar. And to understand why it is about justice, not just about these horrible sins and the, the prostitution and the adultery, but, but about justice, it's important to understand at that time The law of the day. There was a law called the Leverite Law. And the law in those days was that if you were a widow, your husband had died, the family was to take care of you. You see, a widow was in a horrible situation in that society. They had, they were, they were, there was no dignity, there was no future. All of their identity was wrapped up in being a part of the family that they had married into. And if you were a widow and you had not had an heir, a son, to continue on the, on the line, you were in bad circumstances. And the law at that time said, if if this happened to you, the family, if there was any other brothers, would then be the brothers would become your husband. And then he would give you an heir, and you would be able to continue on to stay in the blessing and the, the goodness and the provision of being a part of this family. In this story, we didn't have time to read the whole chapter of 38. We learn that Tamar has been married to Judah's son. But we learn that Judah's son is evil and the Lord smites him for his evilness. We don't know what it was, but we know that he was incredibly evil. And then we learn uh, that, that they follow the law and they give to Tamar, Judah's second son, and then he does evil. And the Lord smites him, kills him. And then as we pick up in this passage, we see in the text that the third son who Judah was to give to Tamar, Judah then is starting, there's something going on, and and as he's thinking about this, he's afraid for his son. But he's also in a bit of denial. As you read this story, it seems to be that Judah has some resentment and even blame towards Tamar for the sins of his sons. Their deaths are not their own fault are not because of their own evilness. It seems to be that, it's, that, that he is connecting Tamar to them. And so he makes an empty promise. He tells Tamar, my third son is not old enough. So you go home to your family, and when he's old enough, I will give him to you. I will give justice to you. But we know in the story as we read about it that Judah would not do that. And this, in that society, was a grave injustice. She would be a victim. And it was a horrible thing to do. And Judah doesn't see it. And in this passage, what is so interesting is that Tamar goes, and even though she's not given justice, she then takes action, and she goes and gets her justice. If you look at at verse 20, I'm sorry, verse 14, you see verbs of action that Tamar takes because of the injustice done to her. It says this, she took off her widow's garments, covered herself with a veil, wrapping herself up, and sat at the entrance to Enium, which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw that Shelah was grown up, this is the third son of Judah, and she had not been given to him in marriage. And as you follow along with the story, she pretends to be a prostitute, she covers herself. And you see in Judah, just a really messed up man. He ends up sleeping with her and promises a goat. Because this is the payment for this, but she doesn't have a goat at the time, so he says, she says, Well, just leave your, your rod and your seal. In essence, this would be like saying, you know what, you can't pay the tab, leave your wallet, come back forward after you pay the tab. Okay. Long story short, she gets this, and that is what she wanted. She wanted proof, justice for her that Judah did not give her. You see, in this passage, what is so interesting is the highlight of the sin is not even the sin of commission. There is sin of adultery and sleeping with a prostitute and deceit here, but what is so interesting here is it's about more than deceit, it's about justice. It seems to be that the sin is not even the sins of commission, it's the sins of omission. It's not what Judah did, it's what he didn't do. It's that he didn't care for the widow. This in the story, the full story of God is a theme that we see throughout. There are texts throughout as we read the story of time and time again when God's people do not act for the the oppressed, for the just, that God judges them. They may be living in a righteous way and and giving sacrifices and, and fasting and doing all the things you're supposed to do as God's people. But if they're not doing the things that God has called them to do, this would be a sin of omission. One passage in particular in Isaiah chapter 58 verse 6. God is speaking to the people. They have been fasting and having sacrifices and worshiping him. And he makes this statement about their social life, he says this, is not this the fast that I choose, the way that I want you to worship me, he says, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, And bring the homeless poor into your house. And when you see the naked, to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. We see in this passage that we're learning a biblical principle. That God's people are called to be a people of justice. How unique on this weekend, Martin Luther King Jr. weekend that we're reminded that we are a people that seek justice for all. But there's more to this. You're gonna see that this is just the beginning of the things that we learn about in the story. You see, the story is also, it's, it's about more than guilt. It's about confession. I want you to understand this. Now, when I say it's about more than, I'm not saying it's less than. There is serious guilt and judgment in here But in this story, there's something that seems to happen in Judah that is very important for us to understand. And when we read it in the English translations, we miss it. The English translations miss a really fun and insightful thing that happens in the Hebrew. And it's all around this word that we see of identify. You see, something happens in Judah that is incredibly important to his story. A confession happens. And to understand this confession and to understand that this isn't an interruption, this is part of the story, we got to go back to chapter 37. So if you flip back one page to 37, you're going to remember that Judah had a younger brother named Joseph, and Judah had had a mother named Leah, and Joseph had a mother named Rachel. And we learn from the reading that, that Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah, and there was a resentment among the brothers There were two brothers, Joseph and Benjamin, and then these other brothers of Leah, and they began to resent Joseph. And Joseph has some dreams, and there's some interactions that we'll read about. That's another sermon. But what you need to understand is the brothers hated and despised Joseph. And so then they had a plot to get rid of Joseph. And in this plot, at first they think they're gonna kill him. Then they decide to sell him to slave traders. To sell their brother the slave traders. And they end up thinking, well, Joseph is our father's favorite son, so we need to convince him that he's dead. So then this happens. It says, they took Joseph's robe, he had this wonderful colored robe, and they slaughtered a goat and they dipped the road in the blood. The goat's important. We'll get to that in a little bit. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, this we found. Please identify. The word here is haker the Hebrew word. Look at this, examine this to see whether it's your robe or not. And he, Jacob, their father, identified. But the Hebrew word here is actually different. It's weyacher which which is, he identified it, or he recognized it. He saw it, and all of a sudden, he realized, it is my son's robe. And a fierce animal has devoured. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Jacob does this. And do you not see, even in the Hebrew language, and even in what is happening, echoes of what Judah is about to experience with Tamar? There's a profound experience that Judah has with Tamar. Look at what happens. In chapter 38, right, he says that he finds out that Tamar is pregnant, and he says, burn her at the stake. Kill her, which was a much more intense and evil judgment of Tamar. There were laws for that, but it was never burning at the stake, and it wasn't even Judah's place to make that. You could tell even in this that there's a denial in Judah and he's wanting to blame his son's evilness on Tamar. And then look at what happens and pay attention to the verbs here. It says, and she, as she was being brought out to be judged, okay, she sent word to her father-in-law Judah and says, by the man to whom these belong... I'm pregnant. And she said, please, here's the word, identify. Hacher, nah, the same language that Judah said to his father with the coat, she then says to him. Whose these are? The signet and the cord and the staff. Then Judah, look at what happens in Judah. We miss this in the English That same moment that Jacob said, oh my goodness, my son is dead. That revelation, Judah realizes, oh my goodness. And said, she is more righteous than I. The Hebrew here for righteous is also hard because it's, it's related to justice. She is more justice than I. She has done more right than I since I did not give her to my son Shelah. Now listen, look at what he's saying here. He's saying the thing that he, the ultimate sin of what he did is not even about sleeping with the prostitute. That is sin. But the thing that is most significant here in this story is he did not give justice, is he did not take care of his widowed mother uh, daughter-in-law. And he said she is more right. She deserved the justice And he seems to have something happen in his heart. It's like the scales fall off of his eyes. Many commentators will say this seems to be a moment of change in his life. It seems to be a moment of revelation when he realizes, oh man, maybe even we could conjecture a little bit, the evil of my sons may be a part of my fault for raising them. The fact that I married a Canaanite woman when, when my father and my grandfather knew that we were to stay out of the, the pagan gods and, and he, introducing that into our family. And he started to take ownership even of his own part to play. He was honest about his sin with God, but also to himself. And I think as, as we think about that, just before we get any more to pause and, and turn that around on us, it can be easy to read of Tamar and Judah and think, wow, I'm, I'm really happy I'm not like them. Unfortunately, we are like them. But as we read this story, what I love is it just gets better and better because what is so beautiful in this story as we think about Judah and having this moment is it's even more It's about more than his judgment. It's about more than his condemnation. We wouldn't be surprised if the Lord struck him dead at that moment for his own evil, but it's about his transformation. It's about something that seems to happen in him and we see this in the story of Joseph. This is so cool. God does something in him, a working in him, a transforming in him, and the transforming starts with a revelation of his own sin and his need to confess and say, I have sinned, and I have not just sinned sins of commission. There are ways that I have sinned of people that I have oppressed, people that I have not treated righteously that I need to confess, And we see this in chapter 44 as the story continues. Fast forward, Joseph, the younger brother, becomes a, a second in command of all of Egypt. The story of Joseph is wonderful. Please go read that. And then there's this interaction where the brothers find themselves, they don't know, but they find themselves desperate for food before Joseph. And, and it says this, in chapter 44, verse 33, look at this interaction that happens. It says, now therefore, there before Joseph, and Joseph sets them up, a bit of a test for them, and in essence, Benjamin is in trouble, about to go to jail. Benjamin, the son, the only son left of Rachel, the, the wife whom Jacob loved more the son of uh, what seemed to be injustice for all these brothers. And Judah has, seems to be, once again, in an opportunity to get rid of the other brother. But look at what happens to him. A transformation has happened to him. It says, now therefore, he talks to Joseph, he says, please let your servant remain. Instead of the boy, as a servant to my Lord, and let the boy, Benjamin, the other son, go back with his brothers. In other words, this time he says, I will be the slave. Take me instead. And if you read the whole context here, he's saying, if, if, if we come back and Benjamin is gone, my father will die. And it seems to be that something has happened in Judah where his heart has changed and he has grown to care and love for his brother Benjamin and is offering now himself. What a difference. Do you see the difference, the change, the transformation that has happened in his heart going from saying, Joseph, selling Joseph as a slave and, and deceiving his father to saying, I will take his place. See this story, it's way more than an interruption. It's about redemption. It's about redemption. Think of the wonderful movie, Dumb and Dumber. When Harry is talking to Lloyd, Lloyd has sinned pretty, or just really messed things up. And Harry says, You go and do something like this and totally redeem yourself. You know the story, a wonderful moment. In this story, we see redemption, redemption of Judah. And this is the theme of Genesis. This is the theme of Genesis. As you look at the story of Joseph, the, the whole story of Genesis is this idea of redemption. And we see it very clearly in the story of Joseph, but it's also connected to the story of Judah. If you can, turn to Genesis chapter 50, the end of the book, we see this wonderful statement where Joseph is reconciled with his brothers and, and, and they're scared, they're afraid he's gonna act out. And look at what he says. He makes this wonderful, beautiful statement. He's talking to them, he says, as for you, you brothers who sold me into slavery, who left me for dead. He says, you meant evil against me. But God, he meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Don't miss this, church. Don't miss this, friend. When evil seems to be around you, when anxiousness Darkness seems to be around you. These principles are true today as they were then. Paul tells us in Romans, he says, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. God works all things for the good. As we read this story, as we we think through this hard difficult passage. There's an incredibly important truth that we get after. See the story, it's, it's about more than deceit, it's about justice, it's about more than guilt, it's about confession, it's about more than judgment, it's about transformation, it's about more than an interruption, it's about redemption, it's about more than Judah, it's about Jesus. This is what is so wonderful. Is what is so wonderful about the full story. We break over the evil. We get wrecked by the law. But we know that there would come one from the line of Judah who would live perfectly and righteously. We know that one would come who would be able to do what every single character on the way could not do. And we read of this in the blessing that Jacob gives over Judah. You can turn to chapter 49. As you read this blessing, uh, thinking about this story on first blush, we think, okay, if you've been reading in chapter 49, Jacob is about to die and he's about to bless his 12 sons. Judah's older brothers don't get the greatest blessing. As a matter of fact, it's more curses than blessings because of their evilness. And as we read it, we not knowing that something seems to happen in Judah, we think, oh man, Judah better embrace for something really messed up because he deserves it. Look at what happens, look at this promise to Judah. It says this, Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. And Jacob stooped down. He crouched as a lion. And as a lioness, who dares rouse him? Jacob is giving this blessing to Judah, saying, you are going to be a people of might and power and strength. And listen to this. He says this. The scepter, scepter is a kingly majesty promise. It shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and let And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. In other words, out of you, Judah, out of messy, messed up Judah, a king will come. A king that will rule. And this king says he would be binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. Commentators say this is most likely a prophecy of the triumphal entry when Jesus would come on a donkey. He has washed his garment in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. You know, the first miracle of Jesus was turning water into wine. We you know that he would shed his righteous blood for us. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. There's a justice and a strength but also a purity about our king and do you not see Jesus in the promise of Judah and this is why at christmas time when we read of the story of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1 people always wonder why does the new testament begin with a genealogy What's up? Why are all these characters important? Well, as we read the full story, we're gonna get more into that, but he says this. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, we're gonna learn about David as we continue on the story, the son of Abraham. Abraham was last week the one that the promise was made to. Abraham was the father of Isaac, We have read of him. And Isaac, the father of Jacob, we just talked about him today. And Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah, father of Perez, Zerah by Tamar. In the line of Jesus, the mother of Jesus, one of the mothers of Jesus, Tamar, Canaanite woman, and we see so much in here that is so important for us, we see the string And even in this story, we see the theme of of two seeds and the Lord using the younger seed. The Lord doing things in a way that is different than our ways and we see this throughout and as we read of this story, we ask this question, how in the world does my story here in 2021 relate to this full story? Where, Where do I fit into this? It seems to me these points that we've made about Judah and Tamar, they're not just for that context, they are eternal principles for us today as well. They are principles of God's people, so hear this, church. We are a a people devoted to doing justice, to confessing sin, to experiencing transformation and living redeemed through Jesus Christ, the Lion of Judah. Write that down. Circle justice, confession, transformation, redemption. That is who we are. We do those things, but don't miss that those things happen only through Christ. Only through the perfect righteous one who came. And far too often we think, yes, I'm all about social justice. Yes, I'm all about continuing to confess sin or I'm all about sharing stories of God's transformation or or living as a redeemed people. God has redeemed my my muddy past. Those are all wonderful truths, but they only happen through the gospel of Jesus Christ, through the good news of the King of kings and the Lord of lords who came to die for you and live for you, who's resurrected. So we think about these truths, and as we think about them, I would encourage you this morning. We think about living under the reign of Christ. What does it look like for you to do justice? We're not just talking about sins of commission, we're talking about where are ways that I have acted unjustly. Maybe it's employees, maybe it's friends, maybe it's your spouse, where I have not treated somebody with the dignity, as we reflected on two weeks ago, that they deserve as an image bearer of God. Or maybe it's the Lord is revealing to you some of your own injustices and you need to confess and repent. Or maybe you need to be reminded that in Christ, you are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And so live in the new creation of transformation. Live in the beauty that you are redeemed. You are bought back. You are not living in that evil darkness. Christ has paid for your sins. What I love about thinking about the full story is we have scripture, and we can look to the end as well. See, there's a hope, but in Revelation chapter five, John gives us a hope of the Lion of Judah. And as you read of this hope, maybe in this moment, you're feeling a little overwhelmed by our world. Maybe you've turned on the news and politically you're concerned about some politics. Concerned about the health of our nation. Maybe you're concerned about some social issues. Maybe there's stuff happening in your life. Maybe COVID itself has, has wrecked you. And as you think about this, I'd like to read to you of the Lion of Judah in Revelation. says this. Verse five of Revelation chapter five. It says, and once, and one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered. He can open the scroll and its seven seals. He is the one and between the throne and the four living creatures. And among the elders I saw what? A lamb. Standing as though it had been slain. Seven horns and with seven eyes and with seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. Verse 9 says, And they, the people, sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open the seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and every language, every color of skin, every nationality are ransomed, are redeemed. You see, in the story that you read of Judah and Tamar, there's a goat. A goat is dipped in blood. And that goat does something in Jacob where he realizes that a payment has been paid. A goat is supposed to be the payment for Judas' sin. See, in our story, Jesus is the lamb. The perfect righteous lamb who died for us. See, friends, our allegiance, our king, not a donkey. It's not an elephant. It's not a Republican or a Democrat. It's the lion of Judah. And the lion of Judah, there is might, there is strength, there is power, but the lion of Judah is also the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, who came into the kingdom who came into the world and said, the kingdom is at hand, therefore love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. This is what we do. This is how we live in the reign of the kingdom of God. This is why we sing when we sing that the battle belongs. We sing, so I fight. How do I fight? On my knees with my hands raised high. Submitted to the king of kings and the Lord of lords. So as we reflect on that this morning, I want to challenge you. We're going to sing a wonderful song called The Lion and the Lamb. It's a song of victory. It's a song of faith in our God, in Jesus Christ. And as you sing this song, I want to encourage you to sing out of submission to him. Say, Jesus, you rule. You rule my family. You rule my community. You rule in me. Lead me and join me. You pray with me. Jesus, thank you that you are the lion and the lamb. Thank you for this reminder, Heavenly Father. I pray, Lord, that as we read this passage, we would know we can relate to Judah and Tamar. And God, I ask that you would continue to teach us, that you would continue to peel off the scales of our eyes and show us the way that you've called us to live. I pray, Lord, even right now as we sing together here and online, God, that we would encounter your word, strengthening, encouraging, convicting, doing your purposes, and that your bride, your church, would continue to be a church of justice. We give this to you, and we love you, and we pray together in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.